0: The French go-off label, something dirtier than a toilet, and you won't believe where they found some smallpox, because this is where the money is. Hi, fools. Welcome to the Wednesday Healthcare Edition of Where the Money Is. I'm David Williamson, and I'm joined, as usual, by my fellow healthcare analyst, Michael Douglas. Michael, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm pretty pretty pumped about that, uh, that promise. We've got a lot to deliver.
0: It's a good show. I'm yeah? excited about it. Uh, I guess we should just jump right into it. Uh, the French are going off-label, not off the reservation, but (laughs) off-label. An important Um, distinction. It is, it is, it is. Um, They are looking to, this headline comes from Reuters, uh, the French are looking to back uh, Roche's cancer drug as a cheaper eye treatment, uh, and this is basically using it not what it's prescribed
1: for, Mm Uh, but using it off-label because it's cheaper than the available drug that is prescribed for this disease. Right, and what's really interesting about this, right, is that uh, Ro- this is Roche's Avastin, uh, which is indicated for uh, a number of cancers. Um, Avastin works similarly to uh, a number of treatments uh, that are indicated for age-related macular degeneration, or what's called AMD. Yeah, which um, would be Lucentis. Right, which is marketed by Novartis and, and Roche. <laughs> oh, of course, Roche only markets it in the U.S., so this potential benefit to Roche in France you know, would only come at Novartis' expense, less at Roche's expense, since they do things in the U.S. And then you've got ILEA with Bayer and Regeneron.
0: And this is a, a big-time drug. Uh, Roche makes about $1.9 billion mm-hmm. in the U.S. off of it. And uh, Novartis is... Clocking in about 2.4 billion right. overseas, and it's one of the company's biggest-selling drugs.
1: Well, and as we've talked about with I- I- Ilya before, uh, you know, Bayer is pulling in about uh, I think 500 million last year, and Regeneron somewhere north of a billion. So these are these are big drugs. Um, France's argument is that basically, okay, this is going to save us about 270 million dollars per year since Avastin is so much cheaper than these other drugs. Of course, it also has more side effects, mm-hmm. uh, and this is something that people really need to be thinking about when we're talking about um, you know one drug versus another. You know, you've got gastrointestinal per. You've got hemorrhages. I mean, there's some pretty nasty stuff that this drug causes. It's and, if a I re- drug.
0: and if I recall, there were some dosing issues too, getting Avastin dosed exactly right mm-hmm. for uh, AMD, where Lucentis is
1: designed for it. Right. Um, and, and what's actually really funny is that. Um, not funny I guess but it's interesting is if you actually sort of google around about this uh, Novartis and Roche have this website that's like why you really should be taking a Lisette, is not a vasted you know what off labeling is and it, it's it's kind of a funny website mm-hmm. um, it, it's interesting though you know Roche and uh, and Novartis have been pretty clear about the fact that, you know, really Lucentis should be kind of used for its thing and Avastin for its. And they've actually gotten some trouble for it. Uh, Italy went after them in May. Uh, I one, saw that. Yeah. 1.2 billion euros in damages that they're seeking um, from uh, alleged collusion to prevent Avastin being used as an AMD treatment, which is kind of interesting because usually we hear governments kind of going after pharmas for, you know, being push, too aggressive. Pushing too hard for off-labeling instead of pushing against it. So kind of an interesting thing here. In terms of the investing side, I, I don't really see this necessarily as on its own a big threat to any of these companies. Of course, if the entire EU decides to go after something like this, which is the fear I think, then you could see start seeing a material difference to uh, to to these other competitors. Yeah,
0: I think one analyst called it a contagion. I guess it would yeah. be a contagion of cost savings.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but the, is... the best disease to get, I don't know. <laughs>
0: The, it, Europe is a lot more price conscious when mm-hmm. it comes to drug costs. Than, so far, at least. So far than, than, than we are in this country. Uh, I don't think this is as at much of risk spreading over here. Mm-hmm. So Roche's sales over here are probably safe. The other answer would be to raise the price of Avastin, too, well. to, to, to get it more in line. If it became a real threat, I, I don't think they'll necessarily go that way. But it But it is a move they can make. Mm-hmm. It will be interesting to see if this goes to other countries or potentially – other indications, you know, not mm-hmm. not just these drugs, but if there are other drugs that, that uh, work off label and other indications, perhaps you know the, the governments will push for that. So it's a situation to watch. Everyone's trying to bend the healthcare cost curve, especially mm-hmm. in Europe, because healthcare costs are tied directly to the country's budgets because right. of of how their healthcare systems are run. So something to watch for investors. I wouldn't be too worried right now. I wouldn't be hitting the sell yes. button just yes. because of yeah. This. Exactly. Well let's move on to our second headline which comes from Fierce Healthcare, our good friends over at Fierce. Uh, it turns out, and we teased this in the intro, that hospital elevators, and specifically the buttons, carry more bacteria than toilet surfaces, which I find just absolutely horrifying. Uh, this is in a study that was published by Open Medicine, mm-hmm. and the Open Medicine researchers, or the researchers in the study, went to 120 elevator buttons and 96 toilets uh, in the this hospital, so these were
1: public toilets, these aren't private toilets, right. but uh, pretty terrifying. Yeah, and these are in three large urban teaching hospitals. I mean, it, it, it is, uh, it's very interesting. It's <laughs> also, in Canada, so I guess we can blame Canada for this. I suppose we could. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if there's someone, uh, you know, cleaning up toilets that you can invest in. But, you know, one thing that we've been seeing a lot of um, is concern about... Um, are antibacterials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, whether whether there's more we can do to kind of fight back against microbes. Um, one of the big areas that people have been talking about lately are what are called acute bacterial skin and skin structure infections, or ABSSI, A- maybe? I don't know. We'll, we'll find some sh- cute way to shorten it. Um, and basically, you've got two, two companies that have been really uh, involved in that lately. You've got Dorada and Cubis Pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, they both have... Uh, drugs approved uh, under what's called the Qualified Infectious uh, Infectious Disease Prevention designation, uh, QIDP, which is basically about, um, it it gives them some additional benefit because historically the economics haven't been that great for these um, antibacterial drugs. And so this is trying to kind of like bend that back to make it more profitable for them so that more people will put in R&D. We've seen a huge...
0: There's a huge burden on the system, though. Absolutely, from infections that come out of just hospitals, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, any bacteria, uh, you know, more bacterial or even uh, you know, drug-resistant mm-hmm. uh, strains. And you've seen some C. Diff. I, you know, uh, C. Diff. C. Yeah. C. Diff is one of them. So Cubist is is in on that as well, I believe.
1: Yeah, and uh, well, it's interesting because when I was looking at both of these stocks, of course, the, the big question is, well, which is the better investment? Um, and when I looked at it, you know, you've got Dorada, which is largely dalvance, which is their their ABC, I guess I'm going to call it from now on, drug. Um, they have about forty-two million in the bank. They've got a credit facility. They're burning through a lot of cash. Uh, not really. It's kind of a one-trick pony. Not really my style of biotech investing. You've got Cubist, which already ha- already made a billion dollars in revenue last year. Um, they also have an ABSI drug called. Um, um, Civextra, uh which was recently approved in June, uh, can be taken both orally and with an IV, as opposed to just an IV, like Dorada's. So there's some potential benefit there in sort dosing of dosing. Dosing Right. Although you have to do it d- daily versus once weekly. But you get the idea. Um, and they're already commercial st- stage. And um, so, you know, I, I like Cubis better. Uh, between the two. Um, I think it's a stock worth digging into.
0: Yeah I I would agree with that assessment. Cubis has always been sort of a little interesting in in a sleepier space but an important space.
1: And they've got a broad pipeline so there's some opportunity there.
0: Absolutely. Well let's move on to our third headline which is Sort of the continuation of inversion deal mania.
1: Yeah, and I, I feel like we should almost apologize. Like we have we have to talk about this like every week because there's something new happening there's, every yeah, week. And it,
0: we're not we're not just banging this drum for the sake <laughs> of banging. It. There, there really is news every every week that we need to cover because these yeah. are big companies mm-hmm. and they're fleeing America. Yeah, and, and and that's a big headline. AbbVie raised its offer for Shire. This comes from Bloomberg to fifty one point five billion. Now That's about eleven percent higher mm-hmm. from where it was, which is about where the consensus was they would need to go to potentially get something done. It turns out AbbVie, uh, they came out and they said they talked to Shire's, I believe, top 20 shareholders, mm-hmm. which represented the majority of, of shareholders right? Uh, in terms of share weight. Uh, and uh, there's a little egg on the face of AbV CEO Richard Gonzalez. Uh, he had to retract a comment about shareholder support since there wasn't A written confirmation UK takeover code is very specific about these things But uh, AbbVie believes They have a compelling offer They believe Shire shareholders are behind them Whether they can say so or not And it looks more likely that this is moving in a direction Where something will get done Unlike AbbVie and uh, AstraZeneca And Pfizer, I'm sorry
1: Yeah, it didn't feel like Shire was really quite as Sort of immediately negative as AstraZeneca was Um, And I've got to say I think I, I... this is the price that analysts have said is probably pretty close to right, if not exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we're going to want to watch this very, very closely over the next couple weeks and see if this actually gets done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So this is the fourth attempt for yep. Abvi. <laughs> Apparently maybe the fourth time they the charm. But it may be the fifth time. Abvi has not said that this is their final offer. Right. So they can not Because they don't it. want to trigger that yes. in the code. Yeah. Once, you, once you do that, it triggers it, and, and that's all all you can do, you can't come back for another six months with another offer. So if it's not accepted, you have to walk away and cool your heels for a little bit. That deadline, though, there is still a deadline in place, Mm -hmm. because the UK is very specific about this sort of thing. We have July 18th. So Shire may try to push for a bump. I I don't think it's going to be a specifically higher bump. But if AbbVie has shareholder support, I I think this is more likely to get done. It seems... Like they've gone about this a little better than Pfizer has, mm-hmm. although they did start by lowballing I think Shire Shire a little bit too. I, I think it's a bit of an unusual fit for AbbVie, but I do like Shire's uh, portfolio in oh, terms sure. of orphan drugs, and obviously the tax savings are big. And, and any way to save taxes before uh, the Humira patent cliff, whether it's as bad as people expect it to be or not, uh, there may not be. You know, a lot of biosimilars waiting. There probably will be some, mm-hmm. some competition there. But any tax savings they can get out of the deal in the meantime is better. Because AbbVie's AbbVie's sort of interesting. They're the big pharma that basically still hasn't gone through the patent cliff. Yeah. So, but that's oncoming. It is oncoming. So that's a story we'll continue to watch. Well, let's, let's move on to um, Rank Rankit. Let's play our game. Uh, we have. The last couple of weeks, we ranked the big pharma stocks. We did the U.S.-based big pharmas. Then we did the European-based big pharmas. Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to do big biotech. And the, they're really only four, so yeah. it's a shorter ranking. They're all U.S.-based. Mm-hmm. And our four companies we're going to rank are Amgen, Biogen IDEC, Celgene, and Gilead. So, Michael, how would you rank them?
1: Okay. I'm going to say... Gilead, Celgene, Biogen, Amgen. That's that's my immediate that's my immediate gut response. Um, Gilead, it, it, it's it's Savaldi. You know, it, it, it's Savaldi, but it's also the opportunity with the HIV drugs. You've got Truvada being uh, recommended for people to take to basically help prevent HIV um, by the CDC. Uh, New York featured them in a uh, in a big. Basically pushed to try and end HIV, and, and, and
0: over the top titled press release. Too.
1: Yeah, they're they like something <laughs> we're going to defeat AIDS, and, and really what they were hoping to do is sort of reduce uh, additional people getting yes. HIV. But you know, Todd Campbell, uh, one of our one of our writers, did an excellent piece on it. Encourage everyone to go to full dot Everyone, read should look it. it up. It yep. is an excellent piece. Um, so I, uh, you know, when I look at Gilead's growth drivers, they've also got the potential oncology drug uh, opportunities coming online over the next couple of years. Really like them, um, Celgene. I'm a shareholder, uh, so of course, so I, I I, I, like I, yeah, I, I very much like Celgene. <laughs> You're like I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> They're the worst. No, I, I think uh, I think it's been a, it's been a great investment for me so far. Um, you've got the issues with um, Revlimid, yep. right? There's potential patent issues, although hopefully, I mean, it, it's really hard to. So th-
0: you know, I was looking into that Markman hearing. Yeah. Uh, Natco is on the other side challenging right. it. I would say nothing really surprised me out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think you know the overhang is still there. Um, if anything it was maybe slightly favorable to Celgene, but that's something that needs to be monitored. Very much rev reading, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly, Revlimit is just
1: so critical to their business. Yeah. Although they've also got great opportunities in uh, with Tesla. Although we'll be talking about <laughs> maybe how those maybe aren't quite as good as we thought. Um, Abraxane, yep. which is a first-line pancreatic cancer, and it has just a ton of other. Potential indications. I mean, if you if you look at Celgene's pipeline, it is classically the kind of pipeline I like to see. There's a lot of drugs, a lot of indications, a lot of late stage stuff, and a lot of opportunity. These are big markets.
0: Yeah. Celgene's great about getting a drug approved for one thing and then getting approved for five other things as well.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, Biogen, um, I would say uh, Tecfidera mm-hmm. uh, is a huge uh, growth opportunity. Um, I think, uh, you know, they, they've done a really good job in sort of a lot of their work um, with, with drugs like Tecfidera. Thoughts?
0: Uh, Biogen's actually my favorite. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if we were to rank these, I would do Biogen first. Uh-huh. Then I will go back and forth on Gilead and Celgene. Sure. I like them. Uh, I, I flip-flopped on this a couple times. I'll probably do Gilead, then Celgene, mm-hmm. then Amgen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Again, Amgen's last for you, too. That's not a knock on Amgen. are all
1: this is a great, great area of the market.
0: I really like Biogen. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, Tecfidera is a multiple a oral multiple sclerosis drug. It, it really sits at the sweet spot between efficacy and safety versus mm-hmm. oral competitors.
1: Well, and, and uptake looks fantastic. Yeah,
0: it's just really trounced it. Uh, I think there are still upside. I mean, you have the EU launch of it. I, I think people have underestimated that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tecfidera is a drug that could hit over $7 billion in peak sales, uh, they have a hemophilia A drug, Electate, oh, yeah. uh which you know should be a blockbuster as well—one mm-hmm. to two billion. Uh, I think their injectable multiple sclerosis drugs. I know everyone's excited about oral. Injectable is where it used to be, but plagrity I think can can hold ground even mm-hmm. against the cheaper version of capaxone. So I think there's upside there, and I think their pipeline is the most exciting out of all of these. Is the most risky. Absolutely no doubt, but they have an Alzheimer's treatment yep. uh, that is about 10 times more potent than Eli Lilly uh, and they've done a good job screening out people in the trial who actually have Alzheimer's versus just dementia, mm-hmm. which kind of screwed up Eli Lilly's phase three trials.
1: Right. Um, although of course Alzheimer's has been a bit of a graveyard for drug companies, so definitely a, well, a, a high risk, high reward.
0: Yeah, right? I mean that, that's that's why you would you would say you know say that. But uh, they they have a number of other things in there. I mm-hmm. encourage investors to dig in. I I think Celgene or I think Biogen is probably the most exciting to me right now.
1: All right, fan of Thoughts on Amgen?
0: Uh, Amgen is kind of a PCSK9 story right now yeah I, I would say which which for those of you who don't know i believe we covered it in, in a early, couple of times a couple of times uh it's a cholesterol fighting uh drug there are going to be some competitors pfizer is one but amgen's is the furthest along mm-hmm. amgen bit big on this it should be a blockbuster as well
1: yeah i mean, i i like their opportunities again amgen being the bottom of this list is not saying amgen's about necessarily a bad investment um i i this is, I think, a really great space in the market uh, with a lot of opportunity. Yeah, these
0: are companies that really uh, had a lot of stuff cooking for a while, and now finally they're gonna the, pay off. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's really exciting. You know, you take a look at. Um, you know, Amgen bought Onyx as well, which which I thought added some nice uh, oncology drugs to their pipeline. Yeah, and as well. Capralis
1: has some nice uh, yeah. opportunities. Yeah,
0: Capralis, and uh, they get a they get a cut of uh, that Pfizer one as well, which I'm blanking. Uh, Palbo, name. yes, Palbo, yes. Yep. Amgen gets royalties, a, a nice set of royalties off that, so that'll be a pick or
1: two. And Palbo ciklob, uh, for those who aren't familiar, it's the bre- uh, potential breast cancer drug. Really could. Uh, be a huge seller for Pfizer. Um, yeah, it looks like multi-billion dollar blockbuster. Yeah, uh, because it, it, it treats a, a previously um, pretty much uncovered part of the uh, uh, breast cancer population. There's a really big amount of opportunity there.
0: It, these, are, these are four stocks. Uh, before we move on, I would just actually sum up the space almost by saying, just throw a dart and you'll hit a pretty good company. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I mean, they're all, they're all just good operators firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's take a question from the mailbag. And our question comes from Casey in Richmond. And Casey asks, earnings season is almost here. That's one of my favorite time of time of years. What healthcare stocks could pop with a good earnings report? Now now, Michael, I, I know you you, uh, you we appreciate the mail. Yeah and mail comes to hc at fool.com. But uh, So please,
1: please, please mail us. Yes,
0: please mail us. We we read it all. Uh, but Uh, You you took some, not offense, but you wanted to point out uh, Uh, Casey's
1: question. I I wanted to respond a little bit and and question the premise a bit, right? Uh, First off, by the way, I I, uh, am uh, a former proud Richmond resident, so uh, go Cap City. Um, So if if a stock beats on earnings, I mean, pretty much any stock could pop by beating on earnings. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And the other piece is that, you know, foolish investing, part of that idea is, not thinking about this quarter and next quarter, but thinking about five and ten years down the road. And this is actually a really big thing in pharma and biotech because you're not talking about really whether, you know, this drug is going to sell big next quarter, but whether it's going to sell big ten years down the road maybe when it gets out of clinical trials finally. Um, And so I think that long-term thought uh, is really really critical in healthcare, especially because we've got so many day traders.
0: Yep, exactly. Especially in in the biotech space. Especially. in so, the So, but l- l- let's focus on earnings. Yeah. Uh, what are you know? Are there any companies that you think this earnings period is in- particularly important for that they have a lot to prove, or that you're just excited about their earnings and, and what it's going to show? You know,
1: what's what's on the top of your list? I, I it's it's got to be Gilead. I mean, Gilead Sciences has been really kind of one of the big stories of 2014, right? You've got Savaldi. Drug that effectively cures hepatitis C in ninety percent plus of cases. Um, revenue last quarter was just shy of five billion dollars total, about two point three billion of which was. From uh, Savaldi and knocked analyst expectations out of the park this time they 've moved the the goalposts forward a little bit there um, according to capital iQ uh, analysts are estimating revenue comes in at about five point five billion, um, and the numbers i 've been seeing for analyst expectations for Savaldi have been about two point two to two point three billion so assuming that basically they can continue that run rate now whether they can that 's going to be a big question and even if Gilead beats on revenues and on earnings mm-hmm. but misses on Savaldi, I think that 's going to be uh, Less than le- the market would be less than thrilled by that. Yeah. Um, I think you know we've, we've got to see that strong run rate for Savvoldi. If they beat it, that's even huger.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it's so funny to take a company worth so much Yeah, uh, and distill it down to one, one drug, drug. <laughs> and, and, and not just you know how that drug is performing overall, but really in one quarter because mm-hmm. everyone I think was so blown away by the launch. Mm-hmm. And the question was, you know, are there are a lot of people warehouse that, you know, were waiting. Obviously, these drugs don't get developed in a vacuum, and doctors, uh, you know, in the space knew Gilead's drug was coming. Patients were clearly warehoused. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, this isn't uh, – it, it's a disease you need to get taken care of, but it's not one you need to necessarily get taken care of immediately. You can wait a year for a better drug. Mm-hmm. And so we saw a huge surge in demand. Now, is that is that going to continue? Mm-hmm. Is it going to keep surging? Is it going to flatline? As it gets to a more stable rate, is it going to actually decline to mm-hmm. show sort of where that true underlying demand is as it spreads out and have more of a typical launch where it, minus an early surge? Right. So I, I think there are a lot of questions around this drug still, mm-hmm. um, a lot of expectations and a lot of questions because – you know when it comes to big big biotechs and big pharmas i don't know if there's any company that's almost as dependent share price wise on, on one drug than this one
1: which is amazing to me because when you look at gilead i mean they've got so much in hiv i mean as we talked about earlier you know the the truvada uh, potentially prophylactically being yeah. given out to help prevent hiv i mean that's a huge opportunity and you look at stride potentially but, bigger yeah in the market sleeping on it well and 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 more consistent right yep. because once hepatitis c is cured that's it this is a yeah, preventative you don't, yep. uh, measure and, and some of their other HIV drugs, Strybilt. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity with this stock. Um, so I would encourage people, watch the quarter, but think longer term as well. Yep. Um, because I think there is really some truly fascinating opportunity with Gilead.
0: Yeah, I think, I think Gilead is probably right at the top of my list as well. I'm going to throw out three smaller biotechs real fast, though. Uh, two of the obesity drug stocks, mm-hmm. just because all three of these companies that I'm going to mention are really dependent on one, one product, and and it's always exciting to see how they move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's still a lot of hope for the obesity drug makers. There are other companies that have had some bad quarters, and, and maybe investors have moved on. But uh, I want to see what's happening with Arena's Belvique mm-hmm. and Arena is revamping sort of how they're they're selling the drug.
1: Right. So so Eisai, uh, their um, their Japanese partner. Japanese uh, pharmaceutical partner, uh, basically substantially increased their sales force. Mm-hmm. You know, their, their moving really aggressively in terms of trying to, to get uh, new advertisements out in print media and things like that. And so there are some opportunities yep. potentially there for them to beat expectations. That said, expectations are pretty low. Yep. Sales have been really low. And so even if, they, even if they beat expectations, I don't know that it's going to get them toward profitability, which is what they really need.
0: Well, and that's the thing. You take a look at Vivas and Arena. They're, they're not hitting double-digit millions in sales. These drugs were supposed to maybe not be blockbusters, but certainly... Well on their way towards that multi-hundred million, multi-hundred million, and and there needs to be a huge ramp. And you keep seeing reports. You know, I saw a report uh, earlier today about how obesity is actually, uh, you know, more dangerous than than I believe it was smoking, smoking. Which, which was pretty alarming. And this mm-hmm. is extreme obesity, so mm-hmm. so don't worry too much if you're carrying a couple extra pounds. But right. uh, it, there there is potentially a, a huge need for these drugs, but they're not being prescribed by doctors so the question is can they uh, get that going uh, or are these stocks really just going to be all drug approval hype and, and they found that there isn't really a market for, for their products. Mm-hmm. And the other company is one where I believe there is a market for its product but the problem is safety really put a ding in it that's Ariad Pharmaceuticals, uh, it's drug Iclusig, mm-hmm. uh, it it unfortunately was had a black box warning it 's a cancer drug. it was pulled off the market. Uh, it went from sixteen million in quarterly sales, not a lot, but it was ramping up mm-hmm. and then that got cut to eight million and it's bounced back to twelve million but you know, can it rebound? Can it continue to grow? It's an effective drug. Uh, they're trying to expand it into other indications. That's where it would grow. But again, you know, they're also running a larger trial to see if it can still be effective at a lower dosing to help mitigate some of the uh, the safety concerns as well.
1: Right. So, so you know, quarterly earnings will definitely be important there. But perhaps more importantly for them, we'll be looking at whether that other trial works. That could be, while it might not I don't know whether it would be a bigger catalyst than beating on earnings. The real question is whether it will be fundamentally more important to the business, I think.
0: Yeah, I th- I, the trial is more important overall, but, yeah. it, but in the meantime, it's... Anything ca- we can get. Can, yeah. they get the, can they get back on the good side of doctors mm-hmm. and prescribers? Um, it will be interesting to see. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to Tweet It, uh, our final segment. Uh, Your favorite. Yes, it is my, <laughs> it is my favorite. Uh, our first tweet, I believe, comes from Donna Young. And Donna tweeted, District judge upholds prior decision. State regulations cannot usurp federal law. And this is in relation to the company Zogenics. And Massachusetts attempted to ban their drug Zohydro, which is a painkiller. Michael, your thoughts on the tweet and the news?
1: Well, well first off, it's nice. You know, the, the Constitution is still a thing, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, we do have a supremacy clause. You know, when, when the FDA or something in the federal government says something, that, that is kind of supposed to be that. Um,
0: but it hasn't all been good news for Zogenix. No. It's certainly no. good news for Zogenix. Absolutely. But uh, the stock was down about 10% one day this week uh, when the FDA...
1: Uh, gave, uh, gave priority review to uh, Purdue, which is a, a privately held competitor. Um, they have an abuse-resistant hydrocone tablet. Um, Zogenics and Zohydro is not abuse-resistant. Which and is that's
0: what caused all the uproar. All the, all the Really, a lot of state AGs didn't want the FDA to approve it. The yep. FDA said, listen, the drug works. It, it does what it's supposed to do.
1: We have no reason not to approve it. Exactly. And, and so, um, you know, Purdue does get that six-month review instead of 10. Um, now, I, I will say, you know, Zohydro... Definitely, some concerns there, because of this oncoming of competition, because of all the negative press, because that you 've got twenty nine state AGs speaking out against it. Um, that said Zogenics is making some smart moves by trying uh, for new formulations that are more abuse resistant, mm-hmm. uh, one of which might be on shelves as early as early two thousand and fifteen, depending on regulatory approvals, et etc, et etc. That said, you know, Zogenics is kind of the Zohydro train. Uh, when you yep. when you look at their clinical pipeline, that's pretty much it. Uh, so this isn't really the kind of stock that I invest in, um, and I, I think there's too much uncertainty and um, too much going on in the market, both regulatorily and also uh, competitively, to really feel confident in investment.
0: I agree. You know, we we're talking about quarterly earnings. Here's another stock that I actually <laughs> am really interested to see how the launch of Zohydro is. Oh big. yeah. Uh, I I agree. I think it's probably a little too risky for the way the way we like to invest, mm-hmm. but It's definitely an interesting story from both uh, a political standpoint and just to see how a new drug launch is going. So we'll be watching that for for quarterly earnings. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our second tweet. Came from our friends at Fierce Biotech, which uh, this has been a a big biotech focused show. We got more news. We're just going to talk about it some more. (laughs) And it turns out CellGene's would be blockbuster fails in phase three for spinal arthritis. Now, your thoughts on this, Michael?
1: Yeah, so uh, they failed in, in ankylosing spondylitis. And try mm-hmm. saying that three times fast. And by the way, if I mispronounced it, please do let me know. <laughs> um, and uh, sorry to one of our listeners, by the way, we did not call Gilead Gilead like you suggested. Yes. Maybe we should. Um, <laughs> he'd heard a lot of people mispronounce
0: yes. it. but I have mispronounced revenge before. Uh, br- I will admit that early. Revenge.
1: <laughs> 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 it's the French word. Uh, anyway, so ankylosing spondylitis. Um, it, so failed. The trial. Yes. Um, it looks like a particular subgroup of patients with early stage disease might have had some clinical benefit at week 24. Now, it's important that this was a pre-specified group. Mm-hmm. Often, you'll have a company say, "Okay, we, we bombed the trial, but we're noticing that everybody who and I'm going to set up a straw man here, everyone who wore a red shirt, you know, had the had the um, had a, had a benefit. So we're going to group you know people like that together in the future and see if that has uh, some benefit. In this case, it's not a sort of this post hoc. Let's scramble for something, some kind of good news. It was a pre-specified analysis. You know, they were already planning on looking at this group, so that's potentially good news. They still want to look more into it, of course. Um, ultimately, though, ankylosing spondylitis, not that important an indication no. to a Tesla long term. It's psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis. Absolutely, and, and just look at the market numbers, right? So um, the spondylitis total market is supposed to be somewhere around uh, six, seven hundred million in 2016 total market, not in any one drug, but total market. Uh, you compare that to psoriasis. Uh, where Tesla's going for FDA approval. The decision should be made uh, around September 23rd. Mm-hmm. Uh, that market's supposed to be worth as much as $7.4 billion in 2020, uh, according to Pharma Times. So you look at the comparison, there are much more important indications. One of the nice things about a Tesla, there are a lot of indications it's being tested in right now, so there's yeah. a lot of opportunity. Um, if it loses on one of these big ones, that's a bit more of a concern. But this one, not that big of a deal, and that's why... Seljeet, probably one of the reasons Seljeet's actually up today on the bad news is that people are like well you know it's not really that fundamental to the business
0: no it's just uh, it would have been a nice kicker oh absolutely but not the end of the world for, not at all for Seljeet at all alright let's move on to uh, our final final tweet which uh, is, is a favorite of mine for <laughs> this comes from John Rennie he writes after finding old smallpox vials in freezer CDC now determined to finally clean out that junk drawer in kitchen too
1: yeah um i have so
0: much to say on this first of all <laughs> I, I don't know even which way to go it's it's with the cdc pass an fda inspection <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, should they get a I, warning letter I, is that is that, well, <laughs> is that on the way for them
1: <laughs> that would be pretty funny i you know i just <sighs> smallpox i can't believe that there were some lost smallpox files. right like yeah, of, of,
0: back there behind the frozen pizzas of all know? the
1: diseases yeah. out there right like why smallpox <laughs> Uh, because it was such a scourge at one point. Um,
0: yeah, I think they're breaking actually international regulations yeah, by, f- by having it in there.
1: Yeah, I think the, the regulations is- they're breaking is probably the least of the problems. <laughs> but yes, yes, that's very fair. Um, it's kind of like if you, if you hit somebody uh, with your car and then you're like, oh, man, I ran the red light. That's not really the big part of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: I've, I mean, I found some bad things in the back of my freezer, but, but nothing like an a unlabeled box of smallpox.
1: Yeah, no, that was, that, was, that was a truly disturbing uh, headline <laughs> to read and then tweet to see.
0: <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining us for uh, Where the Money Is for Michael Douglas. I'm David Williamson. Stay tuned for tomorrow's energy show. Thanks for watching and fool on.